0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today in studio with me, I have David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome, guys.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Very glad to be here.
1: Glad you're here. Uh, we have a couple of announcements, and then we'll get right into our topic for today, which is addiction in the news. So the first thing I just wanted to make our listeners aware of is that on April 27, uh, 2019, it will be another official take-back day sponsored by the um, uh, DEA, uh, the Drug Enforcement Agency if you are interested in cleaning out, doing your spring cleaning, cleaning out your medicine cabinets, all the places underneath the sink and in the bathroom and all around your house, the bottom of your purse, the glove compartment of your car, and you're interested in cleaning out all the old pills, prescriptions, over the counter, or... Um, or prescribed medication, you can do this on the National Take Back Day. And if you're interested, go to deatakeback.com. That's www.dea, as in Drug Enforcement Agency, takeback.com. They'll give you information about how to find the closest drop-off place to where you live and um, other of programming and uh, information that's available to you on the DEA website. Actually, it's kind of interesting if you ever just want to take a minute and go to the DEA website. It shows the top 10 most wanted um, people in the United States. It has all kinds of interesting information about drug busts, about new types of Illicit substances that are being found by the DEA agents. It lists all kinds of interesting information in addition to the information about the take-back day. So please clean out your medications. Make sure that children and other vulnerable people do not get access to those old prescriptions. We know this is one of the number one ways that people get introduced to Drugs um, is by getting them not from their dealer but from their grandmother's medicine cabinet.
2: In particular, um, young people, when they are in that experimental stage of life, going into grandmother's medicine cabinet, friends' parents' medicine cabinet. So, if you're done with the prescription, get rid of it.
1: Exactly. Exactly, for so many reasons, not the least of which is keeping something from 1987 is really probably not going to be helpful to you at all anyway. So the next thing I want to make our listeners aware of is that at um, the Atlanta Healing Center, we're going – actually, we've already started and have introduced Qigong classes for our – families, patients, interested members of the community. These are on Thursday morning from 10 a.m. till 11.30 a.m. They're run by Sifu Steve Allen, who is a – and Seafood means, seafood means teacher, um, but it is um, an ancient uh, type of martial art. We are using it particularly as a way to help people learn breathing techniques to self-soothe, calm themselves down, help them deal with stress. And so, this is a great um, a great opportunity for folks. Uh, classes are thirty dollars each, and if you'd like to come and try one out, please do. If you're thinking of joining the group. Ongoing, uh, we ask that you make at least an eight-week commitment so that you have a real opportunity to learn some of these techniques and be able to take the full advantage of having this experience. David, you went to a class last week. Uh, what were your thoughts?
2: I um, I was pleasantly surprised, and I very much enjoyed the class. But in particular, his teaching style is is. Really, pretty unique in the sense that he, he really teaches and, and educates you about the breathing, about the, the movements, and about the history of it. While at the same kind of teaching you movements and showing you how to do these things, um, the, the the basic techniques. Um, so he never he never pushes you to a point of feeling like you've. You're either feeling silly and stupid, or feeling <laughs> like you're just worn out. It's really a very, very educational um, experience, um, and at the same time, really helping you to understand that the, you have some control over your stress when you're stopping and learning to breathe in an appropriate way. So, even even working in the field and doing this for a long time, it was a very, it was a great experience to find this new technique for breathing.
1: So, again, those uh, classes are at the Atlanta Healing Center in Norcross, and they're on Thursday mornings from 10 till 1130. If you'd like more information, you can go to our website, www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com, or you can call us at area code 770-696-9862. Seven seven zero six nine six nine eight six two, 696 9862 and uh, ask about the Qigong. It's, um, it's a wonderful opportunity for you to uh, learn about how your body heals and how you can manage your stress with this exercise and breathing technique. And... Sifu Steve shared with us a few weeks ago that he was able to use this actually as a weight loss, Um, that getting involved with this again and um, dedicating himself to his breathing and his exercise found that it was um, really very beneficial to him. So uh, please do consider that, and um, let's get on with the show. So today we thought we would talk about some of the very interesting things that are showing up in the news around um, addiction, around recovery, and there are just a number of things. David, you were just sharing with me um, a very interesting story about um, a person from Louisiana and a gambling addiction.
2: Um, yes, this was this was interesting for me not only in the sense that this. This is a uh, um, one of their elected representatives who is over is on the judiciary committee, and so there was question about this person disclosing that she has um, had previous issues with gambling, mm-hmm. being in the positions in she's in. So that part of it aside, what I found really pretty interesting was was some of the. Um, steps that are being taken for gambling uh, addiction in particular. What we've always known in treating chemical dependency is having a um, having a setup for monitoring really helps for success with physicians, with other professionals. When they have to give drug screens and when they have to show up and get support, their success rate goes up significantly. So what they have set up in Louisiana, which I thought was very interesting in this story, is a voluntary program where People with gambling addictions can can voluntarily register with um, gambling authority to not go into casinos for a period of five years, and if they do, they're subject to arrest and they're subject to misdemeanor and possibly fines or possible jail time. Um, so that aspect that that with gambling addiction in a, in a country in a city that's really becoming more and more. Um, known for its casino gambling, um, Mm -hmm. riverboat gambling and all those things that that they are really having to come to terms with ways to address that particular addiction.
1: And I think that uh, that number of years, that five year mark is one that we have known in the the past certainly among our professionals um, who must have a license in order to be engaged in their life's work uh, that five years seems to be a really important number that if you're able to maintain your sobriety for five years, chances are, not a guarantee there's uh, <laughs> there's no guarantee with it, but certainly chances are great that you're going to remain sober for the rest of your life so I think that is um, wise of them and that people are Um, aware that they need help, they need support and accountability, and setting this up that um, they uh, register with the gambling authority and that somehow the casinos are able to recognize people uh, and with all of the facial recognition and other kinds of uh, electronic surveillance that we know is everywhere in casinos, I'm sure they're able to help support people in keeping their commitment to um, refrain from gambling. It's that kind of intermittent behavioral addiction that is so difficult to manage. And it's one that uh, when it's so easy because it's uh, legal in your state and readily available, it makes it even harder for people to, um, to avoid.
2: So this was Senator Karen Carter Peterson who who disclosed this, and unfortunately, she disclosed it because she had been arrested and charged with mis- misdemeanor for violating the agreement that she had signed up for. But she but the story goes on to talk about how she's you know proclaiming that the program actually works. Mm-hmm. It worked exactly as it's supposed to, it, and it stopped her from. Um, mm-hmm something that could have become much, much worse. As we see with chemical dependency, if a relapse isn't stopped with, with, an, with a first exposure, the, the likelihood that catastrophe is waiting um, mm-hmm. is, is very real. And the, and the same is true with gambling addiction.
1: So um, five years, monitoring, accountability, and consequences, swift and immediate. Uh, we know those work very well by looking at what happens in drug courts that uh, when the consequences are clearly outlined and when people have an idea that violation of their agreement is going to not take long for somebody to follow up and um, and institute some.
2: And part of what we always say in family group is don't give a... Uh ultimatum that you're not ready to live with. So when addicts discover that the consequence is actually going to happen, it becomes much, much more effective.
1: Exactly. So there was another um, important um, probably more for people who have the disease of treatment-resistant depression, but a very important um, medication that was released about a week and a half ago. So this is hot off the press. Um, This is um, a medication that's been released by Johnson & Johnson and Purdue, uh, or excuse me, Johnson & Johnson Janssen Pharmaceuticals. The uh, interesting thing about this is that uh, it is a completely different type of antidepressant. Uh, So different, in fact, that it comes up on our radar screen because it is a drug that has been listed as a club drug in the past, and certainly one that has uh, a high abuse potential. And um, rather than being like the previous antidepressants that focus on neurotransmitters, like um, Uh, serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. This is a completely different one that works on glutamate and the NDMA receptor. So when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this new medication. Thanks for listening.
3: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction, or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on on the website or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, uh, I have with me... Michael Daly and David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about addiction in the news. So right before the break, I started to introduce this new medication that has been released by Janssen Pharmaceutical, uh, which is a subsidiary of um, Johnson & Johnson. And this is a completely different uh, type of medication to treat depression. And it uh, is one that, as I was saying, we're well familiar with in the uh, addiction world because it is a drug that was originally developed as an anesthetic. It's called ketamine. And uh, this particular uh, medication is still used um, primarily now in veterinary medicine as a way to put the animals to sleep. But it was um, a medication that, particularly in the 80s and 90s, was often misused by our folks and uh, became a a very popular club drug. Um, Lots of different names for it, but um, the striking effect that people have when they use this is that they become psychotic, Hmm. and they um, have... Hallucinations. They have delusions. the uh, The world around them doesn't look like it normally does, and their brain and body don't always respond like normal. And the, uh, the fine line between using it to get that experience and having you trip over into anesthesia where you are unconscious, uh, it, it's a, a, a dosing challenge, shall we say, at least for the illicit user.
2: So in the old days, you know, just a couple decades back, it was referred to as Special K. And when people would talk about special K, they would talk about going into a, into a K hole, where they would use it basically for a depersonalization experience, a desensitization. And when I talked to patients about the experience they had, they would they would say they literally felt like they were just kind of stepping into another um, another world that they the music would be going on around them because it was often mm-hmm. a dance club kind of thing and all of this would be happening and they would feel like they would just step out of their world into another world. This became such a big thing that actually for veterinary clinics and veterinary hospitals, they had to d- start developing new systems for locking up their medications because um, um, breaking into and, and stealing from mm-hmm. vet clinics became a huge crime at that time frame. So then when we... Re- learned that this is going to be the new medication for depression, it really brought up a lot of red flags and concerns.
1: It did. And uh, a number of our patients wanted to jump right on that bandwagon. So um, it is something, I think, um, to spend just a moment on. It has been available off-label over the last several years in uh, ketamine clinics that have set up around the country. So they're using it IV in those situations. Sometimes they're using it for complex regional pain uh, to help people with just really complicated pain syndromes that don't respond well to other medications. It also has been used um, offline, or excuse me, off-label, not offline, off-label as an IV medication for the treatment of depression. Now, uh, what Janssen Pharmaceuticals did was um, they took the active isomer of the active ingredient. So when you look at most chemicals, there are um, what we call mirror images. One chemical is the exact copy but as though you're looking in the mirror. So what would be your right side um, straight across from you would be the other chemical's left side. And usually one of these chemicals is very potent and has most of the activity. The other side, the mirror image, is not very potent or not at all active. So Janssen Pharmaceutical took the S-isomer, the um, the left side, if you will, and they um, made this uh, chemical called um, S-ketamine. It's spelled with an E-S ketamine, and uh, this they put into a nasal spray. So in this situation, rather than getting an IV, as most of the ketamine clinics around the country have been using it, this is a a prescription medication that is given by nasal spray. The um, difference about this is that in addition, the patient has to demonstrate that they've failed two other antidepressant classes, not just two other antidepressants, but different categories of antidepressants. They have to be currently on an antidepressant while they're given this medication. Their doctor has to be specifically trained in administering and monitoring the patient, The the doctor orders the medication. It is sent from the specialty pharmacy to their office, and the patient takes it in the doctor's office. This is not a medication that they would take home and just dose themselves um, like we do with most antidepressants. So the patient... Uh, administers the nasal spray themselves in the doctor's office and then they have to be in the doctor's office for at least two hours and have to be closely monitored because of some of the um, the side effects that can be um, pretty significant. Uh, you can have um, difficulty with uh, elevated blood pressure, you can have difficulty with Actual hallucinations, uh, a psychotic break, severe anxiety, and lots of um, uh, possible bad uh, side effects and complications. So they have to be watched very carefully. Uh, The shipments of this medication are supposed to start out uh, on March 17th or March 18th. So that was just... um, Uh, Last week that they started giving it. Now, the interesting thing is that, um, when people are getting the IV, um, infusions, um, they cost several hundred dollars, also given in a doctor's office. This medication is going to cost nine hundred dollars per session. And since for the first month you have to have two of these, uh, sessions where you go to the doctor's office and wait there um, two hours after you've administered the um, medication. Uh, it's estimated that it's going to cost roughly seven hundred or seven thousand dollars per month for this treatment. Um, the next month, you have it once a week per week. Following that, um, the studies indicate that you need to take it once every other week or twice a month. So. What's not clear is how long it's going to take for um, for this to work, how long you'd need to continue it, but um, they have shown uh, some mixed results. When the uh, particular medications were reviewed by the FDA and they looked at the trial, um, the the human trial data, They found that two of them were better than placebo. They found one of them was the same as placebo, and one of them was worse than placebo. And the group that it was worse for made actually made their depression worse and gave them a lot of side effects, and the person, the people couldn't tolerate it. Were those folks who were over the age of 60? 60. So 65 is the cutoff for this medication. You can't use it um, if you're over 65, and um, the price being pretty prohibitive, um, it's. Um, going to really be reserved for those people that have very treatment-resistant depression and are severely, often suicidal, frequently hospitalized. The other contraindication for this medication is If you are a um, person who has the disease of addiction, you should not be given this medication if that is the situation. So that's why we're reviewing it a little bit on on the show today because of this big push that we're going to see. There's going to be a lot of marketing around this particular drug, and a lot of people may be interested in it, and certainly... Um, There's reason to suspect that it may be helpful for some people, but uh, people who have the disease of addiction should not use this medication.
2: So I would imagine some people have to be thinking, why would I pay $900 a dose when they're using it at the vet clinic for $5 on my dog? Why don't I just get some of my dog's medication and have the same effect? What's the answer? (laughs) Uh,
1: The answer is um, the difference between those folks that are giving the infusions in their um, office. They're rarely trained in the treatment of depression. They certainly don't have to be trained to deliver the IV ketamine. Often they're actually anesthesiologists or other uh, folks who are familiar with the drug, and, um, and they provide it. So there are not the safeguards around this medication that there um, are. Um, excuse me, with the IV medication that there are with this um, nasal spray. So I, I'm I'm not sure how this is going to play out, but it will be a very interesting thing to see over the next few months. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about more addiction in the news. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m.
4: Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center are here with me, and we're talking about addiction in the news. So um, there's been a couple of interesting um, Legal situations that have shown up in the last couple of weeks, and I think michael you 've got an interesting one regarding uh, another pharmaceutical company. we just finished talking about Johnson and Johnson um,
5: well, Purdue Pharma has um, been listed in in numerous um, lawsuits with the opioid crisis Correct. and they've they 've said that Purdue Pharma has basically been um Responsible for the 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 over prescribed use of opiates, the false information to physicians early on that it was not um, addictive, right. and then pushing them to just give more and more and more to to the people that thought that they were being treated safely now um there are several lawsuits out there, as, as I said, but one that was just recently settled is uh, Purdue Pharma versus the state of Oklahoma, um, which they they have agreed to pay approximately uh, $300 million. Um, they've set aside some of that to set up um, actual addiction centers. Uh-huh. Some goes towards helping Current addiction centers um, help people that have become addicted, and then there's also um, money being set aside for um, anti anti um, like the Narcan or or drugs reversal reversal agents. agents mm-hmm. Yes, um, but but I thought it was very interesting in this article when I when I was reading about it. It said that. Um, In 2013, the opioid epidemic had cost about $78.5 billion for the calendar year. Wow. But what's really interesting is that by 2017, the price tag had risen to $504 billion.
1: Billion with a B. With a B. Okay.
5: And um, so the cost... Of of this crisis, is not even being. I mean, it's not in a drop a drop of a bucket in the in the settlements that are being given. And apparently, uh, Purdue Pharma has has been openly discussing whether they should just uh, claim bankruptcy and and call it you know call it quits basically.
1: A number of states, a number of cities. Uh, have um, filed suit uh, I think Georgia has filed suit as well
2: so apparently there's actually already 1600 lo- other lawsuits um, out there that have that have not that Oklahoma where this original settlement they chose to go ahead and stick with theirs on their own and not get linked into anything uh-huh. the hopes that they would actually be able to collect on a settlement Um but I'm just struck by the number, Michael, that you were talking about. I mean, the settlement, if all of these settle at that right, they're still not even touching the amount of money that Purdue Pharma took in with
5: with um, well, the cells. Y- well, that's just that the Sackler family, they, they um, think that the Sackler family, just their own – profits, I guess you would say, right. um, between 2008 and 2016 was at least $4.3 billion to that family.
2: Billion with a B. Billion, billion with, with a, a B. B.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: 1,000 million? <laughs> yes.
1: So I think the interesting thing um, about this uh, was that back in uh, 2008, 10, 2011, um, was when the uh, FDA actually put Purdue Pharma on, on basic um, probation and uh, uh, caused them to have to change their formulation so that it was more tamper resistant, so that people couldn't crush it up and snort it or inject it. Uh, their sales dropped significantly, but before that, they had huge sales. Mm-hmm. And when they discovered um, this new way of um, uh, producing the medication, so it was a change in the, um, in the way that the medication was released, the time release formulation, they made a major shift in the way that they um, marketed it. So before, a lot of the marketing around pain management drugs went to orthopedic surgeons, went to pain management doctors, went to people who managed um, patients who had cancer and terminal illnesses. Mm -hmm. Um, They made a conscious change in their direction to go ahead and go forward with marketing directly to primary care doctors. And um, there were a couple of messages that were given to primary care doctors. The first one was that because it's a sustained release, a slow release of the medication, people who have the disease of addiction aren't going to want this drug. They aren't going to be interested in it. It's not going to appeal to them in any way. Uh, the second thing was that if you have real pain and um, I'm using air quotes, real pain, then you can't get addicted to something. And so many of the primary care doctors, and rightly so, and other doctors, were feeling very comfortable and confident that they could use and prescribe this medication without necessarily having to send their patient to a specialist and that it was going to be relatively safe with um, a low potential for being misused. Well, that's um, that was a very um, calculated effort on their part, and um, the rest is history uh, because we know people with addiction did like this medication. Absolutely. And they found ways to... Um, to bypass the sustained release by crushing it, um, snorting it, injecting it, and, um, and it became very popular, not just with people who had uh, pain problems, but very popular with people who had the disease of addiction. And it... Um,
5: it just created the perfect storm.
1: Correct.
2: But, and the, the, the brilliance that they were, they were really marketing this on both sides. Cause they were saying to, to PCPs, primary care physicians, you have got to ask these people if they're in pain. And they were saying, if this person says they're in pain above a three, which is what? A little bit more than a headache. You need to give them something to treat the pain. So they're getting the right. pressure on that side. On the addiction side, I can remember in service education's, where where we were being taught if the person has legitimate pain they're safe from addiction. Right. Well, I can remember those words just clear as a bell and 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 at the time knowing that's not true.
5: Right. Well then then as as you were saying David when when they had the um pain chart type of thing where you had to rate yourself within the pain then hospitals also began to um kind of over, oversee themselves by watching their par- their patient um, rating system. And if they left there still in pain after showing, you know, a certain amount of pain, then the hospital would be held um, r- responsible or, or, you know, looked negligent. at as if n- they were negligent. So everyone jumped on this whole bandwagon right. to – quote-unquote, stop the pain, and um, this is what we got from this. This is what happened.
1: Many uh, pain organizations, patients who had pain, and it moved from being acute pain because I just broke my leg or I just had my appendix out to chronic non-malignant, meaning chronic pain related to injuries or inflammatory processes like um, arthritis, Um, not people who were having cancer treatments or end-stage cancer that they were dying uh, and had severe pain. No, the Joint Commission on Hospital Accreditation at the time, that was their name. They've since changed it. Um, But they made pain the quote, fifth vital sign. Mm -hmm. So everyone who came into the emergency room, everyone who came into a psychiatric hospital or an addiction treatment center, we did blood pressure, we did pulse, we did respirations, we did um, what's your body temperature, and we asked, here's the list of smiley faces and less smiley faces, what's your pain level? then pain guidelines began to come out, uh, instructing the doctors, the emergency room doctors, the the surgeons, the primary care doctors. Everybody had guidelines saying if your pain, like David mentioned, is uh, greater than a 3, then you should consider opioids. Didn't say you had to use it, but you should consider opioids as a possible treatment.
5: And guess what the uh, addictive personalities learned very very very
2: <laughs>
1: quickly they had to be a six
2: <laughs> I stubbed my toe and it hurt at a level six right mm-hmm.
1: and yeah. and, uh, and they learned that and they just
5: went to any doctor's office any uh, emergency room mm-hmm. pretty much any place that could write a, a, a script and and complained of a, a six or more
1: right and that made it Much easier for people to doctor shop, to be able to go to multiple locations, multiple treatment centers, multiple physicians, and be able to um, report pain and be able to get a prescription for it. So that whole snowball, uh, as you say, the perfect storm. We've got uh, a change in marketing to primary care reducing the anxiety about riding this medication we've got the pain people people who have pain lobbying for we need a change we've got chronic pain now that that hadn't been well treated and there's some truth in that um, then we've got um, we've got the uh, hospital organizations and then following close by a lot of other Official organizations developing guidelines around how to treat the pain, and we have this medication that became extremely popular, many many billions of dollars worth sold, and um, and now we have this uh, crisis. And we've we've focused on the opioid crisis in the past, and and I think that there are still way too many people dying. I think the difficulty is that. In focusing on this, that we're missing the opportunity to really talk about addiction as addiction is addiction, and the substance is not the problem. It's the person's brain, but this has led to a, a change, and we've actually noted for the first time a decrease in life expectancy, mm-hmm. and this decrease in life expectancy moving from but
5: that's in the U.S. Um,
1: that's in the U.S., yes. Um, as we've seen the opioid epidemic occurring, um, we're seeing that the life expectancy has now decreased from, I think it was 78.6 to 78.5 years. Um, and that um, many of these deaths are related to this younger age group, the 25 to 45 year old um, age groups that we're seeing uh, reported um, dying from the opioid crisis so here is where this perfect storm has now landed us in the opioid crisis and we're reducing our life expectancy we're going to take a break when we come back we're going to talk about more addiction in the news thanks for listening perhaps
4: you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction if not you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week.
3: The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction, or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com.
0: You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.
1: Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to America's Web Radio. And today I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center. I really appreciate their being here and uh, sharing information that's shown up in the news would like to invite all of our listeners to check out our our website or give us a call, certainly if you're interested in our Qigong classes, because I think that's going to be a really very interesting um, opportunity for people to, to learn how to manage their stress a little bit better. You
5: know, one thing that I was um, kind of chuckling about and thinking about today as we're preparing for this show is that with addiction in the news, you pretty much never have to look very far before you find several articles right. because <laughs> it's in the news all the time. And, and when you start looking it up, it's just amazing how much um, publicity and how, how many articles are written about various addiction and things that are happening um, that have to do with addiction in the news.
2: You know? but, and and this time in particular, because a lot of times it'll be around a particular um, substance or particular crisis that's going on. But this time, it's just been
5: across the board. Well, like, it lawsuits is lawsuits uh, and it, it, substances and stars and. But you have pharmaceuticals. You know, you have pharmaceutical companies. You have all these uh, marijuana um, growing facilities and companies coming out with you know that are becoming mainstream right and it's just it's just amazing across the board how um everyone's getting so many different messages from so many different sources
1: so i thought that maybe we could um have this last segment um maybe a little bit more hopeful um, and I know this is going to sound like maybe not hopeful necessarily, but um, there was um, a U.S. magistrate judge in the Northern District of California that um, has found an affiliate of United Healthcare, United Behavioral Healthcare, the largest uh, national insurer or the largest health insurer in the nation, has breached its duty. Um, Uh, and is really in um, violation of the parity laws uh, regarding the need for um, parity for people who have a diagnosis of a a psychiatric disorder or an addiction. Uh, Many of our listeners may not know that over the years, most... um, coverage for these um, psychiatric disorders or addiction disorders have been carved out. You may have your insurance through United Healthcare, but they have a carve out company, a different company that uses different CPT codes, all sorts of different criteria, different people, different locations that are managing the benefits regarding treatment for depression or treatment for addiction. And that in making this separation, a lot of the negotiations that, uh, large companies or individuals buying policies, they don't really know what their behavioral health or their um, addiction benefits might be. And so they've been able to get away with over the years not having equivalent brain diseases treated equivalently. If you have Parkinson's disease, that's treated under your major medical insurance. If you have addiction, that brain disease, also involving dopamine, or schizophrenia, another dopamine-related disorder, those are carved out and um, treated differently and reimbursed differently. We've had a number of laws over the years that have uh, said this is illegal, that you cannot do that, that you have to have parity. You have to provide the same level of uh, reimbursement um, for other chronic illnesses, as you do for these um psychiatric disorders or addiction. And um, this is the first of, I hope, a number of suits that recognize that insurance companies for a long time have gotten away with limiting access to care, limiting coverage for care, limit- limiting the amount of money that is spent uh, on medications, on treatment, and um, uh, so i some people may not take that as good news. I took this as excellent good. news excellent news that maybe we'll have um, more parity and what they're going to find is that if you treat folks uh, early rather than waiting for disasters if you treat them appropriately rather than waiting for them to end up suicidal and in the ICU or um, in uh, acute overdose state and taking up medical beds and using medical resources like that, uh, that you might really actually say see an overall not only improvement in the welfare of your insured uh, individuals, but also a decrease in the cost because you are actually treating these po- folks appropriately at appropriate levels of care early on.
2: Well and they they knew all that information once upon a time. Yes. There they were too. plenty of studies in the eighties that showed that if somebody received treatment their medical costs went down to the that equal of the rest of the population. Um, but I guess they decided, Oh, we'll just block that out and, and not treat them at all and their other medical costs go way
5: up.
1: Not my problem, right? <laughs> um, and the, the last thing that I did want to talk about is um, a recent award that was given to Joe Walsh. Um, he is, some of you may know, is the 71-year-old um, guitarist for the um, Eagles, um, a rock band from a few years ago. Uh, it's the highest humanitarian award that is given um, by the addiction field, and it was co-sponsored by the uh, – let me get this right um, – the group, the nonprofit group Facing Addiction, and the Nan- National Council on Alcoholism and Drug uh, Dependence. So these two organizations um, recognized him for his 25 years of sobriety and his willingness, um, along with his brother in law, Ringo Starr, to, um, and their two wives who are also in recovery, um, that they, have um, been leaders in the in the industry, uh, letting people know of their struggle with addiction and their success in recovery, and really uh, putting a face with this disease and a voice with this disease. So I thought that was a really wonderful um, award that they got, and I know they were kind of outed, and not necessarily. 100% sure they were ready to tell people many, many years ago that they had the disease, but that they shared their story and there was a really nice article in the Rolling Stone about um, about this evening and about their lives. Wow.
5: Well, that is good because I think um, that there, there are so many musicians and artists and actors um, that struggle with the disease and it should help people understand that anyone can can have it and, and that it shouldn't be something that is kept secret.
2: Well, and the other part that's so great about this, this article in particular, I encourage anybody to, to get a copy of it with the Rolling Stone, is that it really, he, he is very open about his struggle to reclaim claim his craft. Right. You know, he really talked about how afraid he was to go back on stage and perform his first time clean mm-hmm. and sober, and he said it took him 10 times before he actually started to feel a certain level of comfort that he still knew how to do what he had been doing his whole life. And so many people their big fear about getting clean and sober is that they're not going to be able to support themselves and they won't be right. able to do what they've always done without the the benefit of alcohol or drugs.
1: And when that has been their experience, that their creativity, when they wrote the songs, when they performed the songs, when they uh, recorded the songs, that they were under the influence mm-hmm. of alcohol or other drugs, uh, we, we see this over and over again with our patients. The surprise that they have that they can have fun, mm-hmm. that they can be creative that they can be successful, sometimes even more successful in their career when they stop using drugs and alcohol. And that's the hope, um, that's the, um, the power of recovery. So, wanted to share this very powerful story with you and, um, wish you all a very good week and a very, um, enjoyable time until we see you again next week on detailing addiction thank you you're listening to america's web radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. thank you for listening